Stories from the Honky Moon Café Written and read by Barclay Johnson The Sandpit Twins To the east of our village, on the edge of the Blythe Estate, there is a deep hollow, which is an ancient sandpit. It gives its name to the lane nearby, though the lane has long since ceased to reach the pit, other than by a footpath. The sandpit is famous for the experience that a pair of twins had there before the First World War. The children, who were closely related to the Blythe family, were supposed to be under the supervision of a governess, but they had found the sandpit and were playing in the sand, as children do. When the governess eventually found them, their sailor suits, a popular fashion at the time, were in a sorry state, but worse, and to her horror, they reported talking to a man who was behaving strangely. They hurried back to the house where the children described the man as being tall, bearded, dressed in green, wearing a large hat, carrying a long walking stick and had a bag slung across his chest. Workers on the estate went searching for the man but no one was found and no one was seen answering the children's description. They both gave creditable accounts of the meeting but one thing couldn't be understood was how they both said they could see the man and not. It was interpreted as meaning that the man was hiding or following them, so for several weeks the estate organised regular patrols in case the man was still in the vicinity. Further details began emerging. The twins insisted that he was not a threat. On the contrary, he seemed confused. What they meant by seeing the man and then not was he was like smoke, real at the same time as not real. A clergyman was appointed to investigate and he declared the event was typical of an angel's visitation. A local historian suggested it was the ghost of a 17th century soldier carrying not a walking stick but a pike staff who had died during the Civil War and his remains would be lying buried somewhere in the area. Dressed in green and wearing a large hat would be typical of a royalist. A few wondered if the children might have been eating mushrooms, and some thought they probably just made it up as an excuse for their absence. What brought the event to a wider audience was a prominent artist producing a somewhat sentimental canvas depicting the twins and the Sandpit Angel, now in a private collection. Soon after the outbreak of the First World War, both twins signed up, and after their basic training they were posted to different parts of the front. However, this didn't last long, as both twins died within a month, both on the same day, and some estimate at the same time, but at least 80 miles apart. Some prominent villagers proposed a memorial, but Lord Blythe, though thankful, thought that something of use to the village would be a more fitting tribute and a perpetual reminder of their sacrifice. Some years later, the Blythe family sponsored an extension to the village hall that could serve as the village museum, as well as detailing the event at the sandpit and commemorating the lives of the twins. It contains various artefacts found in the locality, and a display dedicated to the twins with their photographs, a copy of the artist's painting, and various other memorabilia associated with the village, its history and its activities. I recommend a visit. There was little more I could tell you about the twins in the sandpit. That is, until about a week ago. Rachel, who I have mentioned as a genealogist and a part-time researcher, phoned me late one evening with some disturbing news. Jack Dawson, he of the accident-prone family, had been found collapsed near the sandpit. 
He is a keen ornithologist and several times I have seen him dressed in his camouflage walking towards the lake at Blythe Hall, a favourite spot for birdwatching. He had been taken to the hospital on the outskirts of Shipston and so far had not recovered consciousness. His wife, Gil, and daughter, Amy, were at his bedside. Rachel and Gil have become friends since Rachel has been assisting with a book about the Dawsons, their bookselling ancestry, and their many outstanding achievements and catastrophes. A week later, Rachel paid an unexpected call one evening. She was unusually reluctant to come to the point, but I could only conclude it was something to do with Jack Dawson and his accident, so I asked how he was. She told me he had regained consciousness and there appeared to be no lasting physical problems. Physical? I prompted, hoping to nudge her into what she really wanted to say. Gail tells me, she began, that Jack insists he saw something. Where? At the sandpit. Go on. Well, Rachel started, apparently Jack was walking up to the lake, the usual route he took, He had his binoculars and was dressed ready for the rain. It's quite a steep climb and he paused where the ground levels off at the sandpit. He turned to one side and then he saw two small figures crouching by the base of a tree on the edge of the sandpit. He tried to make out who they were. He called out and they jumped up. They were surprised to see him and appeared to speak but Jack couldn't make it out so he took a step closer which alarmed them and they turned away and sort of evaporated. I asked Rachel if she knew what Jack was wearing and she told me his green camouflage outfit, a leather bush hat, a walking pole he has to steady his binoculars, which he keeps in a bag hung round his neck with his camera. Is he still bearded, I asked, and Rachel replied he was. Hmm, coincidence, I suggested, to which Rachel shrugged her shoulders. The story of the twins and the vision is well known in the area. A period of dizziness, walking up a steep hill, a trick of the light, and you think you see what you have read in the museum. Next you'll be telling me they were wearing sailor suits. Rachel nodded. I awoke in the middle of the night with a thought I couldn't dismiss. In the morning Rachel and I met at the sandpit, which appears now no more than a hollow edged with several large trees crowded by bushes and saplings. The remnants of two large trees remain, one having torn up a section of the pit as it toppled during an autumn storm. Another, once majestic, only half still stands. The rest lies rotting beyond the pit, leaving a sentinel behind, over ten feet high covered in moss and bracket fungi. We part the undergrowth and I delve into the dark interior of the tree's base, my gloved hand waiting for something to bite or scratch, but all I feel is dry dust and rot, until a hard edge, then a corner and something is in my grasp. The rusting tin falls apart as I remove it from the hollow in the tree. Four lead soldiers are all that are left. Four lead soldiers whose comrades had spent their many years up at the big house, waiting for their return. 
So that proves Jack Dawson really did see the boys, said Rachel. And saw them putting away what they'd taken from the house, secretly hidden in a tin, in a hole in the tree. The question is, Rachel said, how can a man who isn't dead haunt two children before he was even born? The question is, Rachel, my friend, what is the nature of time?